hear this story and you'll also be gaining knowledge when you listen to it on how to do these things. I realized that like my concern was really just what people were going to think of my decision and oh my god she's crazy what is she doing she's not you know she's supposed to be pursuing a career this is what she's supposed to be finding a job and I that doesn't appeal to me that never appealed to me. Play a major role in spreading I was just embarrassed. I felt like I couldn't do it, like I'd already failed. I had no idea what I was doing. What did I get myself into? What was I thinking? Our history of humanity really revolves around great people. And that's that's all we know about. And why is that? It's because the insignificant people weren't important enough that somebody would take the time to document their life. Hello everyone, my name is Kaylin Otto and you're listening to The Unruly Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have had a full start of the year. I can't believe that it's what, March, April now? I can't believe it's April already. In the beginning of the year, I spent over a month traveling through Ecuador where I went to the Amazon rainforest for the first time in my life. I jumped off a bridge. I went to the beach, did all these different incredible things with my partner. So there is a link in the show notes where you can check out all of the guides that I wrote while I was in Ecuador, you know, vegan guides to Ecuador, uh, different city guides, uh, guides to different towns that we explored. So please check those out, save them for your future travels, and share them with a friend who is planning on going to Ecuador. After I got back from Ecuador, I spoke on a panel about sustainable travel at Women's Travel Fest, and this was the third Women's Travel Fest that I went to, the second that I spoke at. And I was just reminded again why I love Women's Travel Fest so much. And if you're interested, you're like, what's Women's Travel Fest? Should I go? Is it worth it? Can you give me a recap? No, I cannot. But (laughs) my good friend Diani, who runs the While She's Away podcast, put together this sweet little episode that was a recap of Women's Travel Fest. So I will also link that in the show notes if you want to give it a listen. Now that I've given you a little bit of an update as to what I've been into, I want to give you a content warning for today's episode. In this episode, my so well-spoken guest, Dotsie, shines a light on the root of many eating disorders and gives us some helpful advice on what we can do if we have a friend or a loved one who is struggling with an eating disorder. This conversation that we're having today is just a piece of the puzzle to the overarching theme of the unruly body that I am exploring through this podcast and through my blog at unrulytravel.com. So be sure to check the show notes to explore the rest of the unruly body part of the blog, and please share it with anyone who you think would be interested in these conversations that we're having. Once again, thank you so much for listening today, whether you are driving, walking, sitting outside on a road trip with a friend. I know that we all only have so much mental space, so thank you for allowing me to occupy that. And if you enjoy today's episode, if you enjoy the Unruly podcast in general, please, please, please take 30 seconds, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to my voice on, and share this with a friend. All right, here we go. Yes, so thank you so much for coming on the Unruly Podcast, Dotsie. I'm so excited to traverse all, you know, issues surrounding the body, our own body, non-human animal bodies, like all of these things that make you incredibly awesome wrapped into one package. To start it off, I have a surprise question for you. Okay. And my surprise question for you, Dotsie, is if you were a superhero, which you are, um, but what would your theme song be? Oh, dear God. <laughs> um, I like music, but I'm not that into it. So okay. I, I don't even know if I'll ever be able to think of, like, a title of a song that is... Is there um, a song that pumps you up that you're like, mm, yeah, let's go? You know, I used to be a topless dancer for, like, a year after yeah. college, and... It was really fun. I I don't have any, I don't have any like dark, awful stories about it. Um, And that song, 
it's like an like a '90s band, like a '90s rock band with a bunch of dudes in it, and it, it I I will not sing it for you, <laughs> but it's like it, it talks about California girls, yeah, and it has the the greatest beat. And every time I hear that song to this day, if I'm in, just where if I'm in a restaurant or <laughs> wherever I might hear it, or in the mall, it just makes me feel like I can do anything. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. I'll, we, I'll be able to find it, and then I can text it to you because I put it in the show notes so people can listen to it. Yes. I was living in Philadelphia at the time and had I had not moved out to California yet, and so I had this idea of California in my head. Yeah. Right, and like everything that it would bring and do, and it's list mostly lived up to that after now living there for almost thirty years, but oh, wow. uh, or thirty years, but um that that would that would be it because it kind of makes me feel a little, little superheroish when i when i hear it oh gosh see of my past you know that's a dark past but some of the darkness was was also some light at the time so yeah, yeah. oh that my song that i don't know the name of i can't sing for you that's right we're gonna look it up maybe i can weave it into the intro of this podcast so people can give it a listen <laughs> It's a great, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll find it for you. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I love, like, I feel like most times guests don't even answer my questions when I ask that, but it leads into a great story, and that was one of those moments, which is what I was totally looking for. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes. So can you just tell us a little bit about you, and, you know, we're going to go over your history a little bit and switch for good, but what are some important things you just want our guests to know about you right off the bat? Um, I am a empath and I am an introvert and no one ever believes me. Um, I believe I, that. I believe you. <laughs> you believe you, you know me though. Yeah. From the outside. Right. Um, my favorite book I am reading right now is about introversion. It's um, mm. called quiet. Uh, the power of an introvert in a world that can't stop talking. Whoa. Uh, it's fantastic fantastic book I'm probably going to read it again because it's one of those that you read a page and then you read the page again and the page again and the page again and it's yeah. hard to like through it with any kind of speed um but I um uh, had very I would say pretty humble conventional beginnings I grew up in Kentucky grew up eating every animal on planet earth I mean it was the south you know we ate everything barbecue brisket macaroni and cheese KFC yeah. uh all of it and, but I also grew up deeply loving animals mm-hmm. and my first kind of disconnection from myself, which we may get into, mm-hmm. um, was with a, an animal, a horse, mm-hmm. uh, that I, that I deeply loved and, and cared for. And, and we got separated when I was eight. And that was, I think the, the, in, in the process of writing my book, that is, been the moment that I'm able to go back to where uh, I experienced such a traumatic pain, such traumatic pain, but I needed to disconnect from the pain, right? Shut it down as a survival mechanism. Yeah. Because when you're little, you don't have any skills yet to deal with pain, right? So it was that, it was that first time I remember, you know, really shutting, shutting my, my heart off from myself, but traverse through uh, childhood and dealt with a, a, a life-threatening eating disorder in the form of anorexia in my 20s that I would say stemmed from that very first disconnection from myself. Mm. And then in my wild and woolly 20s, you know, I was finding all sorts of ways to disconnect from that pain and, and, and other pains that followed, but was able, thankfully, to live through that, see the other side of it, and use my body in a, in a healthy way again. Mm -hmm. And I found cycling and that took me all the way to the Olympic games and the Olympic podium in 2012, which was a, 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 you know, a a wild 13 year, um, trajectory of a lot of, uh, experiences. Right. But yeah. Um, yeah. So I retired after that. I was, I stood on the Olympic podium just much shy on my 40th birthday so I retired from cycling uh, right after the those Olympic games and and uh, and threw myself into a life of, of activism yes yeah. which <laughs> all of that I feel like connects back to the body which are things that I want to talk to you about because it's from what I know about you it's like you've gone through so much with your body and it seems like 
different stages in your life, your, I don't know if this is correct, but it seems like your relationship with your body transformed in different ways. I would say so much so. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm really interested to get into. And actually that was the first thing I wanted to ask you about because I know we've talked about like both of our, both of our horse riding past and, you know, like you said, you grew up in the South. And so what was your relationship to animals? Because it sounds like you had this one thing where you love them and you want to be close to them, but then also this typical cycle of abuse, right? Where we're eating them and using them for different things. So can you tell us kind of about that relationship with animals and then why you ended up having to part from your horse? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think that because of introverts have a rough time in, in, well, they can have a rough time throughout their entire life, like Mm. trying to pick up and understand and, and, um, unpack why they're so different from, 80% 80% of the world that, that are extroverts. And it, it, I, I hear a lot of extroverts say, Oh, I'm, I'm an introvert too. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and the last person that told me that was somebody that's literally in the midst of creating a giant online community to connect. Yeah. Like introverts do not create places to connect <laughs> with other humans ever. That is not something. Um, and so it's, it's wildly misunderstood, mm-hmm. but as it is a child, I didn't know what was quote wrong with me. I didn't know why I retreated and wanted to be by myself so often, Hmm. but when I was retreated and being, and and being by myself and I would like to go out and play with the neighborhood kids for like a while, but I always needed to retreat faster than the rest of them or faster than my sibling, you know? And so when I would do that, I would, I would dive into the world of animals and I, and I had, we had dogs uh, but I had rabbits, I had um, gerbils, I had hamsters, and I had fish. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like all mom would let me have, right? Like she wasn't going to have anything like an iguana or like, you know, so those, those were what we settled on. Um, and yeah, they were all in captivity, right? We bought them all and they stayed in cages and all the awful stuff today that I realized that they don't deserve to be. Um, but I, I appreciate those those animals mm-hmm. early in my life uh, because it gave me a window into how extraordinary each and every one of them are in their own unique way. And I would retreat and I would spend just hundreds of hours with them. Yeah. And I would, I would get in the, the, the rabbit, my dad built this huge rabbit hutch outside. I would get in the hutch with them yeah. and I would just hang and just snuggle and just watch and just experience the vibrancy of their lives and, and seeing who, who they are and, mm-hmm. and what they like to, you know, how they like to experience the world. So it made me realize from a very early age that um, non-human animals are not, they're not all, they don't all fit into a box. Right. Each one of them is very unique and very different and it's their own species. And um, although we share a lot of similarities, we're also, you know, we're also very different. So I just had this, I mean, the, one of the most horrifying things that ever happened to me with my animals was, and, and, and to some people it's like, okay, that's really not a big deal, but it was everything to me and, and started me on a, a journey. I had some fish and I had a tank and I left the right side of the top of the tank open one night by mistake mm-hmm. after I'd fed them and I went to sleep and I got up the next morning and one of the fish had jumped out and suffocated to death on my carpet, of course, yeah. because, um, and that took me months to get over. Mm-hmm. And I, it, I, my mom remembers me just constantly wanting to talk about every detail of what that death might've been like for that fish, mm. because I just couldn't stand the thought of what that feels like to drown right, or stuff it right. Cause that would be the opposite for them. And so, and, and I, and I was just horrified that it was my fault. Yeah. I mean, I had killed it. So, so that was like one of my earliest memories of, 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 and it, and it's, and it, it still today stings. I mean, I can still, I can still feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, the, the, that, that whole beginning, that, that whole span of connecting with animals as, as an introvert, it's really, I feel like it's saved my life as I've, as I've gone along. Mm. Um, I like spending time more with, other species most of the time yeah which yeah because you can be with someone but it's not the human um 
the draining that can come. You can just be right. with animals. hundred percent. Because they're not be. running their mouth. Right. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> right. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's wild. And but they communicate, right? And they communicate in such interesting and intricate ways. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating to watch their communication with each other and with us. And I just like to sit quiet and watch that go down. Yeah. It's it's incredible what you'll see them do when you're looking at them through a lens of they're their own person and they have a different way of communicating. You know, like they're not um less intelligent than us because they can't speak English or they can't speak a human language, but they have their own, their own languages in their own worlds. And, uh, you know, when you were saying that, I do remember when I was a kid, you know, cause I had a similar, I think, think thing to you where, you know, I had turtles and fish and, you know, horses and, and the cats pulled one of my fish, Billy, out of his tank. And I was missing him for days. I couldn't find him. I'm like, how did this fish literally disappear? And then I started to smell something weird in my room, and eventually I found him under my bed. And that was so traumatizing for me when I lifted up the, you know, the blanket or the cover that was on my bed and saw him underneath. I was also thinking, oh, my God, like, what a horrifying... What a horrifying yeah. experience in his body for him, you know, yeah. um, that you have no control over. So I'm always wondering with people who are so connected to their bodies and so passionate passionate about protecting non-human animals, if some of that just comes from our own connection to our body. Because for me, I'm always like, that seems terrible, and I can imagine in some way what that feels like, and I don't want anyone to go through that. And I wonder if that's the same for you, Dotsie, or if it's a different sort of connection yeah you know I haven't I don't know I haven't thought about it in that way and I probably have to percolate on it some a little bit um because that's the the, the introvert we, we have to think before we talk yeah we can't think and talk <laughs> at the same time right like extroverts which is a talent I wish I had actually but um yeah yeah I I, I like that you brought that up and I yeah. don't know I wonder if yeah. that's because you know just being in for me, an empath and an introvert kind of go hand in hand at sometimes, and I think that's yeah. what connects me to animals in that way. But I want people to read your book when it comes out, so I don't want to give it all away, but can you tell us a little bit about your horse and what happened, because then we'll get into like different ways, different coping mechanisms that you went through, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, her name was a dreamer her official name was follow a dream registered mm-hmm. she's she's a saddlebred I, I grew up um in a thoroughbred family um grandfather uncle cousin you know training owning um <clears throat> racehorses mm-hmm. and I was first put on the back of a horse at three and I my dad did and I I never wanted to to, to get off again I mean it was just, I was just I was just hooked I don't know what it was is that 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 uh, there's so much magnificence in horses, but they're mm-hmm. also um, can be so, so gentle, like gentler than the tiniest dog or the tiniest mouse or just they, they're they are. I'm I'm quite sure there are many species of that size that are aware of their power, mm-hmm. uh, but I've only been around species of that size horses that I have really recognized and experienced. They're very aware of their power and very aware of their size and very aware that, I mean, you know, they can kill you in an instant if they, you know, so they're just, they're just gigantic beasts compared to us humans. And this, uh, particular horse, it was, it was my first horse. I, so I started riding literally at like four, Right. I mean, I just kept begging and begging and begging and begging. And my parents were like, I guess you can take lessons, but you're really small. You know? <laughs> you're not even in kindergarten. And I'm like, I can do it. And so I took lessons at, at four mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just with the trainer, just taking the horse around with her bit. Right. And I'm like on top of them and they're like holding me on top of the horse, but, um, fell in love and started competing in, in saddlebred equitation by the time I was, um, right before I turned eight. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, dreamer was who we, my parents bought and she was a chestnut with a long white stripe down her face. And she had gigantic brown eyes. And I, 
she would let me snuggle with her in her stall and I would I would just wipe my tiny hands over her big eyelids and she would close her eyes and open them as my tiny hands would come back and forth Mm. but my hand was like the size of her eye you know so it just and I would just massage her face and her neck and I I mean I just I just thought we were going to be together forever Mm -hmm. I, I didn't I didn't know to think any anything different and as in in you know horse racing or show horsing equestrian you know you 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 move on from horses, right? So as I got older, I turned 12, it was kind of time for the upgrade from Dreamer. Mm-hmm. Or so my trainers said, told my parents, you know, so um, they she was sold and we bought the upgrade. Uh, and I remember those last hours snuggling with her in her stall, right? All 1200 pounds of her wrapped around my tiny little body. And um, I felt guilty and I felt shameful and she knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, you tell yourselves all these stories, right? I told myself this is what had to happen for me to grow as a show horse rider. It was time for the shiny new horse and Dreamer would be okay. Um, but she's really, she's all I had ever wanted as a little girl, right? And mm-hmm. I, and I, and I should have, I, I always say she would have, I wanted her to be my forever girl. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe she would have lived 25 years and I have no idea what happened to her. You know what I mean? They could have, she could have gone for dog food. I mean, I could have been sending her to my death. I don't know where she, where she was headed. She was also about eight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of getting up there in in horse years a little bit. And when I look back at it, it, you know, it's now with it, with, with a healthy, healthy mindset, um, it still baffles me that I couldn't quite connect the level of cruelty that she was enduring as my horse. Right. Because Right. I would snuggle her with in the barn, but I sh- trained and showed with her with a crop, which right. is, you know, AKA a whip with spurs on my boots to jab, uh, into her tiny, delicate ribs, not mm-hmm. so tiny, but very delicate. Um, my trainers would set off firecrackers in front of her to perk up her ears, uh, you know, and, and there was no warning. Mm-hmm. This scared the crap out of me too. Um, it really could have killed me, could have killed her. Right. I mean, if, yeah. if, if she had reared up, um, uh, and so she, she was trained with firecrackers, crack whips, stretchies, ankle chains, spurs, uh, all the things that you don't do to some, somebody you love. Right. It's not love. So it just, that, that was the, the beginning of, um, you know, my separation of myself, because mm. that's what you have to do. If you love something that much, but you're also torturing it. Yeah. Um, and then selling it to who knows where. Um, but I had to set up some kind of survival technique, I think inside of my heart, yeah. inside of my, inside of my spirit to be able to kind of live with, uh, what was happening to her. And I kept, I, I kept going in saddlebred equitation till, um, to eight all the way to 18. So I had three horses during that period of time. Right. We, um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I think the beginning of the separation from myself was, was when dream dreamer, um, drove away. And what I was eight coping mechanisms did you start using? Like, how did you deal? How did you start to separate from yourself? How did you cope with that? Even at a young age and, and as you progressed, right. Cause you said you were doing that until you were 18. So how did that transform? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it didn't really show back up for a while. Um, I, I was mischievous as a, as a late teenager, you know, I always wanted to try everything I wasn't supposed to be doing, trying pot, try, you know, to drink too much, to sneak out at night and go be with my friends, but nothing crazy that other, you know, mischievous teenagers weren't doing. And I don't really think that was me acting out on any type of pain. I think that was just me being wildly curious. Yeah. Um, Right. So it didn't really show up in, in early teen years or even necessarily in late teen years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I had it pretty, I, I had it pretty stuffed away for a, a long time. Uh, and you know, we, we, we develop, we develop strategies, we develop roles, we develop masks, um, that we, so we can kind of get away with, with what we're, with what we're stuffing. Right. Um, and, and as little ones really our whole lives though, I, I mean, but especially in the beginning, we're conditioned uh, from a very early age to avoid pain and to get love. Like that's right. what we're, you know, set, set up for. So, 
um, it it really didn't show it really didn't show up until um, my sophomore late sophomore year in college when um, my anorexia started and and I mm. you know I, I when when stress started to come in like I'm not. I, I majored in something that I realized I don't think I really wanted to have a career in. And like, I, you know, I started getting scared and confused and uh, not, no, you know, I didn't have a good grasp on my direction for my life. And that felt, you know, that always makes you feel a little unsteady. Like, what am I doing? Where am I going? What's, ha- you know, how yeah. am I going to support myself? I, you know, all, all of the things that are scary in your early 20s, um, trying to, to understand the world around you as well at the same time. It's a lot. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot, right? Like I said, I just, I would, I would not want to go back to early twenties at all. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so it didn't, it didn't show up until, and, and, and the anorexia was just, it wasn't, it wasn't planned, you know, it wasn't like, right. I am now going to starve myself, you know, it just showed up in like me trying to control scenarios in my life, right? which then started to be food, right? And it, and it's, it, I, I liked a couple of things about it. I liked the challenge of it because mm-hmm. it's hard to starve yourself, right? It's, it's, it, it gets, it's, it's, it's painful. It also is euphoric at mm-hmm. the same time. So you start getting addicted to that euphoria, right? When you're so low on calories, it, it can be a almost drug-like euphoric experience. So that started to fuel it. And then just the, the organizational control around starving yourself right yeah was something that it, it gave me like a purpose you know what I mean because I was mm-hmm. very methodical this many calories that food this is when it's going to happen then I'm going to do this then I'm going to do I'm going to walk and I'm going to these many calories out you know to where it completely took over my life but in the beginning it it was disguised as comfort right the pain that I was in right because it's like okay now I've got I know what I'm doing I know I know what's happening and I'm morning I'm gonna do this and organize this and make this you know if I just leaned into it in 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 a a big way really fast so it's more about control like you're in control of the schedule and you're planning and you have something you're focused on and you have a challenge Mm -hmm. and other things feel like they're kind of out here and uncertain but you got this is that yeah yeah exactly like it gives you something that you feel like is an anchor yeah which it's not right like that's an illness right um I think so many people think of eating disorder, you know, they, they don't tend to put them in the category of alcoholism or drug addiction or sex addiction. But, you know, we all, when we're in pain, um, you know, there's a, you, you, you eat it away, you shop it away, you smoke it away, you sex it away, you social media it away. Like right. you just, it's just the poison that I chose. Right. Right. To deal with my inner pain. And, and that was, you know, not eating it away. Yeah. Uh, you know, worked for a while or, you know, I thought it did, thought it did. Right. Even as you're going through like the trenches of the effects that it has, has on your life. Exactly. Yeah. But they're so, you're so unaware of them early on. And I think, I think, I think drug addicts, alcoholics will say that in the beginning, right? Like you're just, yeah. you, you're, you're kind of like holding it together. Right. You think you are right. And it's not super obvious to everyone else in the beginning, then it becomes very obvious because you're just shit faced all the time. Or in my case, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm down under 90 pounds and that, that, you know, that, that's alarming right. for, for people to see. Right. And, and I look sunken and my hair was falling out. My skin was gray. You know, then there's, then it, then it becomes a thing. But for you, the addict, you, I thought I looked fine. Right. You know, right. I mean, I didn't, I mean, I was aware I was like thin, but I wouldn't have called it, you know, unhealthily thin, but I was gravely unhealthily thin, you know, so mm-hmm. it, 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 in the mirror, um, to an addict, it's like, eh, you know, well, I mean, I've looked better, but it's fine. <laughs> right. 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 Or I've been better, but it's fine. Like I've got this under control. And then, you know, you hear alcoholics talk about that a lot. Right. Like, right. You know, it's like, I, I, I've got it. You know what I mean? Like I, I've got it. Was there Thank you, anything like, cause I feel like, yeah, especially in females and in women, it's like there's yeah, a lot of eating disorders, and uh, I feel like we still don't know how to talk to people who are experiencing that. Can you give us, like, a little bit... I know there's nothing perfect to say, or maybe there's even nothing, okay. like, right to say, but if someone listening has a friend who they can see, right, is struggling with that, how you're saying it becomes visible, 
what can they do to help that loved one? If there's anything, there might not be anything, but, but yeah, do you have any? I do. I do think there is something and that is to express your love. I, I get that I've been asked this question a million times just because I then I, I worked in eating disorder recovery or volunteer, whatever. I, I did a, a, a lot of it with sufferers after I got better. Yeah. And parents especially are always asking, you know, that question. Right. Like, what do I do? Like, can I get a checklist, please? Yeah. Like, you know, God, you're so desperate, right? You're, you're, yeah. you're, your sweet child is like withering away in front of you. And so it's so devastating and so confusing. And eating disorders are, are especially confusing to people that don't understand them because it's it's a lot easier to understand alcoholism. Right. It's like they need to not drink, right? Like that, that right? So with anorexia, what, what do you do? I mean, it's about food. Like they have to get back to a healthy place where they, you know, or even somebody that's overeating, right? It's like mm-hmm. you can't take away the thing. And so, and a lot of times people don't understand that it's, it has nothing to do with the food. It's just right. the poison that they've chosen, right. period. Just like we said, shop it away, smoke it away, sex it away. You know, it's just like pick your poison. Starving yourself is just happens to be the poison. And so you have a lot of, you know, uh, parents, oh gosh, if you just eat, like, if you just eat a meal, or if you just, my dad used to say, Doctor, just, can, can we just have a cheeseburger? Can we just sit down for a cheeseburger together? You know what I mean? Like that. <laughs> no, dad, we cannot sit down for a cheeseburger together. <laughs> like, this is not. Um, but it's, it, it just, it, it, it seems complex, but it also seems that simple yeah. to your loved ones, right? Because it's like, it's food. It's like, let's just eat some food and then you can eat a little more food and then it'll get better. And right. so they're so desperate for like that magic, like, how do I just unlock this? Right. And help them. And what I've learned is, right. It's very similar to so many other, um, addictions like we've just talked about. And so uh, most of the time, what the pers- person is, is, is running from or missing is, is connection, mm. is love, is feeling whole, is feeling valued, is feeling like they matter in the world. A lot of times it has to do with one or many of those aspects. And so just saying, I can tell you're hurting. I mm. love you. I'm here unconditionally for you. Let me know what I can do when you're ready. Yeah. That's about it. Cause you're not going to force them into anything, you know? And I, and I know that it, 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 that's never really that satisfying of an answer right. for people that are looking for I've, I've, I've seen their faces. Right. <laughs> They're little literally letdowns. that's what they need to hear. Right. Because you're not going to be able to give them like a pizza and, and think, you know, right. it's them knowing, Oh, I'm, I am actually valuable to that person. And they just told me I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then people can see seen and felt, I feel like, without maybe feeling as judged. Where if you're trying yes. to get them to sit down and eat a pizza, you're like, oh my god, eat this because you need it. Where the other op- the other version of that is just like, I see you, I'm here for you, however you are. Which, thank you. Yeah. I feel like that's that's so helpful because I know that you think about these things and, and you work with these things, but I feel like the average person is not having conversations around this. And so when it does come up, they're just like, oh my God, what, what am I doing? How do I help someone I, I care about? And this is, a, it, it's on the same topic, but going in the direction right. that we're eventually going to head. But what do you say to people who say that veganism is an eating disorder? What, like, there's so much to unpack there. But what is the first thought that comes into your head about that? It can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, so can every diet, if you want to call it that, it is a certain way of, of eating. And so you could call it that. Um, I think orthorexia is, 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 is in that category mm-hmm. of, of an eating disorder. Um, and, and that can, you know, be spurred potentially, you know, by cutting off aspects of anything, of any, whether it's food or experiences or whatnot but I really just have my experience to speak of and 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 my awareness of other experiences as you have so many awarenesses of other experiences um and that's where the the fight for for justice and life for all beings and the belief that animals are not here for us right we are here and they are here yeah and it should 
you know, so because of that, veganism has freed me of all thoughts, bad thoughts, confining thoughts, restrictive thoughts around food. Hmm completely and totally now i did a shit ton of work in therapy prior to being vegan that got me in a healthy place right right had nothing to do with veganism but as i start traversing veganism because i just kind of like you know pulled the wool off and like started to like uncover the truth one day Mm -hmm. of what happens you know with my loving animals what I found was not okay for me. Right. And then I was like, well, well shit, what am I going to do? I, I, <laughs> yeah. I can't eat them anymore. But I was so rock. I was so rock solid by that point mm-hmm. for my eating disorder that it, so, 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 so could it be cagey and, and a little dicey if it, if it was a lot closer together? Like if I had just started therapy and then I, maybe, right. right. I, 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 maybe, but I had done the work. Right. For many years to heal. And so th- so then at that point of period of time, which was a couple of years out of Olympic Games. So it's like 2010 when I started pulling the wool back and I started going, oh, no, like this is screws everything up. You know what I mean? I, I can't I, I'm not going to be eating animals anymore. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, any secretions that come from them either. Right. So this is going to be interesting. I mean, more at that period of time, I was worried about what was going to happen to um, my athletic output. Cause right. I'm like, Oh crap. Like this, this could be, this could be a game changer and not like a good one. Like, yeah. one, like a bad one. Right. Like I'm yeah. the other way. I haven't made the Olympic team yet, but I'm close. Right. Like I knew that I was in the pool of women that the team was going to be selected from. And so I'm like on the route, but as far as like any kind of eating disorder thoughts, not even one of them. Right. Cause mm-hmm. it's now I'm just totally living with my heart center. Right. And it was just a no brainer. Right. And I knew there was other food. I already like, I, I was lucky because I already loved like fruits and vegetables and legumes and grain. Like I already loved that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, Oh, okay. I'm going to switch over here. And I get that, that, you know, if you're, if you're doing three to four days a week or a day, even a fast food, it's a big shift. Right. But it was, it was a shift, but it, it wasn't, you know, like I wasn't eating fast food, right? Let's say it was a, cause that's probably not a route to the Olympic games, McDonald's, yeah. you know, although they sponsored the Olympics. So it's confusing. <laughs> Which is where <laughs> you come in. McDonald's, I know, in the Olympic village. Um, oh, so, gosh. Wow. Right. Um, and my teammates wanted to go there after we won our medal and eat McDonald's because yeah. they hadn't been eating, you know, and I was just like, you, you people are, so I went with them, you know, I think I just sat there yeah. um, by that point. McDonald's had, had, had switched their fries to vegetable oil instead of lard. Cause yeah. it's like illegal now that, so I had French fries, but anyway, <laughs> it just wasn't, but I, I, I mean, I don't want to be one of those people that will say, you know, it, 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 it has no, it could never have a connection to an eating disorder. Right. Is it an eating disorder? No. Could it be connected? Of, of course. The and diet portion. Ta- right. Sure. When you're taking out anything that the that the, the typical status quo eats. Right. Right. Then 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 you you could you, you could have that you can have that conversation. So I think it's it's um it's it's such an important conversation in terms of eating disorder recovery mm-hmm. and eating disorder recovery centers. And I have done quite a bit of work with them in 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 just helping them to un- to even though they're registered dietitians, understanding that you can also get all of the micros and macros from plants. Right. Because more and more women, because that's 80 per 80, 85% of who are in eating disorder recovery, um, come in and are saying, I don't eat animals. Yeah. So like they have to deal with it. Right. They, they have to be able to refeed them. And get, you know, with, with plants, you can't, you know, and and talk about spurring on not only more eating disorder, but another issue, you know, maybe making them turn to drugs or alcohol is if you force someone who doesn't eat animals because of ethics to eat animals. Right. And there, there are those stories out there and they're horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about getting sicker. 
So it's something that that I, 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 I and I will give the eating disorder um, recovery uh, clinics a, 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 a big a big thumbs up and a big high five because they, they weren't really addressing it for a while and then they just said realized they they had to and and a right. lot of them have done a big deep dive because they realized like we can't we're gonna make these people sicker. Right. If we force feed them something that ethically they just don't want to put in their mouth. Because that's the difference, right, between, like, just a whatever, whatever diet you want to do, paleo, whatever, other diet, where veganism is, like, has this ethical attachment. It's a social justice movement. So it's more up here in your brain, in your heart, than it is, like, the actual food. But that's the part that I think so many people are missing. So I'm glad to hear that, like, that's, that's being addressed. Um, yeah, I think they're doing a good job. And I'd say, I'd say in about the last two to three years, yeah, there's been a shift. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah, so important that someone doesn't have to go in and compromise their ethics, um, to feel like they're on a healing path because then it feels to me like you're just going to have to heal from compromising your ethics. Like that's going to be trauma. Can you even imagine, you know, I mean, it's just, it's terrifying to, to, to think, to think of. Truly, right? Like right. if you or I were forced to, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is hard. So thank you for touching on that because I, I feel like it just needs to become more not normalized in conversation. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just more clarity around, like, what vegan ethics versus a plant-based diet because those two get super conflated, even though they're related. But I also want to hear, right, so, so we'll kind of, we'll – Grace through this portion of your life, right? Because you were talking about you had this healing thing um, and then you got into cycling. It sounds like, you know, when you needed something else to kind of focus on and put your energy into. Uh, so how did your relationship change with your own body from like this space of eating disorders? And then I also think like drug addiction into this place where you're like, I'm an Olympic athlete, which is a lot. <laughs> but just, yeah, what are some ways that relationship changed? Um, I mean, I think for the first time as an athlete, I, I developed a relationship with my body because Mm. quite frankly, the eating disorder, just like we've been talking about, it could have been anything. I could have picked sex or drugs or alcohol or anything. I just chose starving myself like for why ever I really don't, I won't ever probably know. Um, so it wasn't about my body Mm, and that's a misnomer that I, I think a lot of people think and it would be natural to say oh you looked in the mirror and you decided you were fat and you wanted to get skinny so you stopped eating absolutely that happens I mean mm-hmm. right it, but that was not me it, there was no part that I was trying to like lose or gain or do anything to my body right I felt like I hadn't been at war with my body at, yet mm-hmm. at all the eating disorder lived entirely in my brain and in my soul like it was just it was a vehicle to deal with my inner pain and it could have been any kind of addiction but it happened to be that so I got very throughout the eating disorder very disconnected with my body right because then my body is in pain at different periods of time because it's starving so it's doing all these weird things and like you know your your digestive system doesn't work anymore. You can't go to the bathroom anymore. I mean, some gnarly shit happens, right? Especially yeah. as you move into. I did move into bulimia towards the very end, you know, and I'm shoving knives down my throat because I can't get anything to come up anymore. Yeah. So there was a war because it wasn't behaving as I had asked it to behave. Right. Right. Like do you know? Because I had control of it. However, you want to look at control in the beginning of the eating disorder. You know, like it was, but, but then it became, I, I wasn't controlling it well, but it was all, you know, up in my, my, my brain. And, and you know, I, it's kind of, kind of like my, my heart brain and my, and my heart heart. It, it wasn't in my body heart. It wasn't, I, I wasn't at war with my body. So the, the transformation to, to being an athlete was this really connection for the first time with my body mm-hmm. and learning what it was capable of. And also appreciating its radical transformation mm-hmm. from being someone who almost lost their life from anorexia, right? Like, obviously, I had a very weak uh, body that was not working anymore. I mean, literally, its plumbing wasn't even working, right? So it, right. it, was, it was not a functioning body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a, 
that was a really cool journey. I learned to appreciate my body, respect my body, love my body, take care of my body, even though training for the Olympics or just training as a professional in any sport is, is, um, is it's always too much, right? Like, I mean, it's too much tear down. Cause it's um, extreme. It's an extreme, extreme amount of definitely is it right. It's not like a healthy amount of exercise like right. I incorporate today. So I knew that, but I was also highly aware of all of the tactics I could use for repair and recovery. So mm-hmm. I, even though I was taking it to the brink all the time, I was also taking really, really good care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after training so that it could build back up stronger. Cause that's the whole point, right. To, to, um, tear down, build up, tear down, build up. Uh, and then I'm, I, you know, I'm really building it up with my plant-based diet, my plant-based diet's working. You know what I mean? It didn't send me off on the chopping block off the Olympic team because <laughs> I wasn't eating animals anymore. So that was like really cool. And I just, it was, then I was finally in my body, Yeah. you know, for the, for the first time. Wow. Wow. And I wonder if there's anything you did then that you still do now, but like, what are your favorite, we hear about like self care, which I think it's kind of turned into this like marketing thing, but are there any rituals? I like rituals maybe that you have with your body that feels really nourishing that you did then while you were training or that you do now just to honor your body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now I'm like most happy when I'm just moving my body in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, so like hiking with my dog might be the most favorite thing to do on planet earth. And yeah. it's so simple. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Some of that, some of that too has just come with just turning 50 and being really honest with like, I just feel the most amount of endorphins and joy come out of my body when I'm, I'm, I'm moving it and I'm challenging it but not to like a gnarly degree, like when right. I was training for the Olympics, like not to, you know, so just, just, just movement in a way that I enjoy every day mm-hmm. I, is, 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 is slightly ritualistic, but it, I'm not like one of those people that are like, it has to be at this time and it has to be this thing. And I have to burn this many calories. None of that. Right. I have no idea how many calories I eat every day. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, it's more for the feeling for you. It's just all about the experience of like feeling my body be alive and vibrant and tingling and working and um, capable and able. Yeah, some of it maybe is an awareness of all the work I did too to kind of get it to this place and and, and I, I, I'm hopefully going to get to enjoy it for a long time. And, right. you know, maybe not though. Could, tomorrow um, <laughs> hopefully not let me knock on wood for now it's you know today I, I get to do that and it's, it's, it's probably like my favorite thing yes that's that's <laughs> move it. Yeah. so wonderful and I think that people will look at you and be like you're this incredible energetic amazing person who's done all these things and that one of your favorite things is so simple just to move your body in a way that feels good yeah which I think I, is such a healthy approach to movement and taking care of your body. Yes, and that sounds good coming back to me. Yeah, yeah. Yes, right. Like, it's not, because it's not, like, so many people have so many um, very specific rituals every day. And obviously, it works for some, not for others, but I, I have no judgment. For me, being that stringent and that ritualistic is not... I don't like going back there. Right, <laughs> that right. Was anorexia, right? And it was also training for the Olympics, and I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> that was tiring. And so I like just like, yeah, just not being real ritualistic about it and just moving my body in a healthy way that feels good in that time, in that moment, in that day. Wow, yeah. amazing. And I hope that when people are listening to this episode, maybe they're on a hike or they're walking with their dog or they're doing something. Yeah. And they can take a moment and be like, yes, this is what I'm doing, and it feels wonderful, and I'm proud of myself. So if you're listening and that's you, go you. (laughs) Go you, that's right. Go you. second that motion. We're cheering you on. Well, thank you for sharing that. I want to switch a little bit um, and ask you about, because you dedicate now so much of your life to protecting the bodily autonomy of non-human animals. Um through Switch for Good, in your personal life, like, you know, all around, in every sector, it seems like. And so I just wanted to 
end this episode a little bit highlighting the work that you do in that area. And and I have two questions for you. One is, why is it important to you to uh, protect the bodily autonomy of non-human animals and other people, right? Because you do human justice stuff as well. And two, mm-hmm. why did you target the dairy industry specifically? Which I love because <laughs> I want the dairy industry to die. So I, yes. wa- I want to know why you want it to die too. <laughs> die, die, die. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just, I guess from a little girl, I just never really saw the difference between, you know, a horse or a gerbil or me. Yeah. Or my fish. I, I just didn't get it. I just didn't get the, 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 the difference that everyone saw. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because they didn't see them. Right. Like they just never stopped to see them. Mm-hmm. And I saw them, but then, you know, I kind of created a rift between me and them for a while there and, and kept eating them mm-hmm. until I really was able to uncover the truth. So I guess it's just this journey now is kind of a coming back to my eight year old self. Mm-hmm. Right. When I recognize that, 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 that we're all the same and we all, and we all deserve bodily autonomy and uh, appreciation and love and, and, and to be left alone, right? There's a whole lot of animals out there that don't want to hang out with humans. Yeah. Like, we're not that great. Yeah. So leave them, leave them alone. Right. It's more than anything, right? Than, than like take care of them. It's like, I, I want to get to a place where we can just leave them all alone, yes. right? We don't have to take care of them or we don't have to rescue them or save them from horrifying They're not scenarios. dependent on us for anything. Yes. Because they don't want to be, right? They're all, they all got their whole own deal going on. Right. Especially, you know, when you get to see whatever. I, I'm in Mexico right now. There's a lot of birds in the tree in front of me. You know what I mean? They're just, they're, they're jamming on their deal. Right. Today. And it doesn't have anything to do with me. We're, I just can't stand the ego of the human. I, it just drives me bananas in relation, well, in a lot of ways, but especially in relation <laughs> to how we think about non-human animals and what they're here for. Right. You know, they're not here. They're, there's just, there's, there's nothing in historically that shows us that they're here for us. Right. Um, that, that it can start pers- personally anyway. So I think it's just that, you know, that coming back, it's coming back to myself mm-hmm. um, that, that, that I had cut off for so long is why I, I, you know, kind of believe that. And then, I mean, the dairy industry, I, I, everyone hates liars, yeah. right? For the most part. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that, that and, and hates an awful strong word, but you know, most people I would say dislike right. lying and, and, and lies. Um, and so for a really long time as a, as an athlete, I was, you know, sold the story by the dairy industry, because that's where the marketing comes from. It doesn't come up from the U.S. Olympic team or the U.S. Olympic Training Center or the IOC or wherever I was training at that time, right? It comes from the, the marketing arm of the dairy industry known as Milk Pep, because mm-hmm. uh, they are on this planet to sell their product. Right. Just like all marketing arms of anything, right? Like this glass I'm drinking. Somebody's marketed this glass, and it's a pretty glass, and I should buy it, and I believed it, and here's the glass. <laughs> um, that is a nice glass. So, <laughs> true. Uh, <laughs> Um, so I was sold this lie for a really long time that dairy was a integral, important, um, and, and like needed component to becoming a successful athlete Mm -hmm. and winning Olympic medals because that's what they sold us, right? They sold us this product and they, and when I was at the Olympic training center in Colorado Springs, which I was there a lot to train at altitude, this is, you know, again, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, uh, they had a recovery bar. They called it that, which is great because, you you know, it was open 24-7, mm-hmm. right? You could go in there and you could go to the recovery bar, um, even if the cafeteria wasn't open. And on it was secretions from cows, Yeah. period. Now, 100% aware today, yay, there's quite, a, there's quite a few plant-based vegan options on that recovery bar mm-hmm. because athletes have, many of them have peeled back the layers that it was all a lie uh, and that there are multiple ways to recover from a workout than, you know, titty juice from a cow. <laughs> but we, did, we believe that. And when you say it like that, this, that's when it's funny, right? right. It's like, that's what it is, but it's like, it's scary. Because it's you know, so outrageous that you world. have to it's laugh. So you're like, 
it's crazy. You have to, but they don't call it that, right? So, so they they used all these words and these terms that 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 seemed to make sense. You know, it was never called. It was hardly ever even called milk. You know, it was like the dairy category mm-hmm. and all the things. You know, so there was cottage cheese and there was yogurt and there was whey protein and and um, there was well, there were some eggs on there too, which is like yes, and I'll have some chicken ovulation with my <laughs> teddy juice to recover from this. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So. Post, Post-Olympic Games, you know, retire right after um, we win the medal. And I am just filled with a desire to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've I, you know, a, a couple of years before I had come into this world, this animal rights world, as I'm taking the blinders off and, you know, the lens is coming into focus. And I'm like, oh, this is really what's going on. And I'm not going to be eating them anymore. Right. So then... I had to go on my own journey to, to figure out what I was going to eat to recover. Mm-hmm. Well, shockingly enough, I recovered and better than some of my teammates dropping the dairy and dropping the animal food. So then I, then I start to, to figure out the truth myself, right? right? And, and, and for me and, and how well I'm recovering and recovering better and faster and stronger on a variety of different plant foods than a variety of different animal foods. Mm-hmm. And there's not that much of a variety of animal foods, by the way, right? Like we eat like three animals yeah. or four. Um, so there's a lot more, I think, and, but I think that's a, actually an important point to make because um, the variety is actually a big component to recovery and repair, right? right? Like I'm eating, you know, 70 types of plant plants during a week instead of, six kinds of animal foods right or even call it 10 kinds of animal foods right like so anyway i just i'm just you know i'm just all in a tizzy on telling the truth right Mm -hmm. and and backing out the lie and i and and, you know dairy was the main was the main lie and it was you know it was was the title sponsor of the u.s olympic team for 10 years Mm -hmm. so so i got together in 2018, I just was like, how can we just even start unraveling this lie? Because by this point, there's lots of athletes, like high-end, high-level athletes that are have gotten the memo, right? Mm-hmm. Not as nearly as many as there are today, but there, there were some. They, they, they've, they've gotten the memo. So they, I said, what if we put like a commercial on the closing ceremonies of this year's Olympic Games? It's a, it's a Winter Olympics year, 2018 Pyeongchang Olympics. And um, anyway, I get together this group of Olympians, uh, six Olympians from four different countries that – do not think uh, cow's milk is part of a high-performance diet, and all have Olympic medals. Well, five of the six of them have Olympic medals. The other one is an Olympian. And just just thunders in a production team, and we put this commercial on the closing ceremonies of the 28 Olympic Games on NBC, Mm -hmm. 32nd PSA. It's supposed to run in uh, six cities. It's very expensive, right, to be on the closing ceremonies on NBC. Yeah. Anyway, the dairy industry gets it kicked off after it airs in two cities. Wow. So we find that out the next morning. We don't know what's going on that night. Like, it's not – like, I'm in L.A., so I'm the last place that's going to air, right, in the, on the West Coast. So it's, it's, it's supposed to hop across the country, right? It, it is, it's, it's supposed to – it was supposed to air at 7.50, 3.30 because mm-hmm. they give you when – so I'm, you know, having a party, and it doesn't air. Oh. And so we find out the next morning, but long story short, the, I, I, I do not like liars and I do not like people using their power in ways that hurt. Mm-hmm. And I also like a damn good competition yeah. <laughs> and I was like game on motherfuckers that next morning and then switch for good was born. And here we are <laughs> five years later. <laughs> fighting yes. fighting hard yeah we're just not gonna stop i'm sure it'll be around long after i'm gone and uh you know we'll, but but i don't know i think a lot there's a lot of people that think the dairy card's going to be the first to fold of all of animal ag for a lot of different reasons but we'll see but anyway right. so here we are we're still i'm still fighting we're still competing right it's yes still, yeah un- unraveling that and i think that i think there's been great strides in 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 that in in in, in athletes and fitness people and just even people that aren't into fitness but just like to move their body in healthy ways right. on a regular day who realize that that is that they don't need dairy yeah. to repair and recover and, and, and have energy after a workout like it's it, that 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 message is is pretty out and pretty clear yeah and you have so many resources for the people who are listening to this on the switch for good website um 
Like how they can ditch dairy, what you can eat instead, what you can drink instead. So we're going to put... Yeah, we've got you, people. Yes. We even have, like, the section is called resources that just, like, will really, really help you and and is super shareable, too. Yes, and literally everything you need for free. That's the amazing part. It's free. You can go on there right now. We are not trying to make money from you. Right. What you're like putting in your mouth. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much, Dotsie. I can't wait to share these uh, links with people. And, um, you know, you're the second person I've had on where we've been talking about the dairy industry. And they said, I hate liars and I hate bullies. And this makes right. me want to go after the dairy industry. And <laughs> you are. Yeah. You have been, but you won't stop. And right. Thank you for that and so many other things. But yes. Thank you for inviting me on yes i sleep better at night just knowing that you exist and you're uh and you're you and you're a force to be reckoned with out there like <laughs> fighting the dairy industry because we need everything friend. we can get better place by leaving things better than I found it, you know, whether it be people or the planet or, you know, all kinds of things. Isn't there a quote that says, feel fear and do it anyways? Yeah. 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 So I think for us insignificance, we have to do it ourselves. A lot of people are doing things in their life they're not completely happy with. Mm -hmm. They can be very comfortable. Comfort is not how you how you grow as a person. <laughs>